This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast on AllComic.com, episode 39. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Sid. And on this episode, we don't know what we're going to talk about. This is the no. first time in a while we've had multiple scheduling conflicts. We don't know what is going to be attached as a discussion topic on this show. Will it be a piracy discussion? Will it be the long-awaited discussion on Sket Dance? Will we have to choose some random other thing like Fire Force itself at work to talk about? We don't know right now. You, the listener, know because you're in the the future when we decided all these things, but we're stuck in the past, trapped in uncertainty, and it's killing us inside! <sighs> yeah, everything's falling apart. But you know what? You're gonna get a good episode of the podcast out of this no matter what, so you, the listener, should be lucky that you don't have to, uh, don't have to worry about any of this. It doesn't even matter. The benefits of hindsight. <laughs> Yeah, we we had a lot planned this week, and um, this is not a bit, like, we actually don't know what we're going to do for the topic this week, but uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, I think we should just handle the uh, the bit of news we got this week first. Yes, that is the one thing we can be certain of, is that we have news to cover this week. And you know another thing we can be certain of? That manga is doing really well in the United States right now. Once again, on the book scan list, the top 24 August 2017, we've got a 60% majority of manga in the top 20. 12 volumes of manga in the top 20. Insanity. And do you know what's number one? It's the ninth volume of My Hero Academia. And that's not all. My Hero Academia occupies four spots in the top 20. With volume one coming at a number six. Volume two coming at a number 13. And volume eight coming at a number 20. My Hero is blowing up right now. It is getting huge. That's four volumes out of 20. That's 20%! <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's a lot of My Hero Academia. I'm really glad to see it do well. Um, it really deserves it, in my opinion. Yes, but it's not the only manga doing well. We've got, coming in at number two, Akira Hibakama's The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, Volume 2. At number three, we've got Hajime Isayama's Attack on Titan, Volume 22. Tokyo Ghoul, Volume 14 is at number four. Four volumes in the top five are manga. Craziness. And then at number 11, we've got One Piece Volume 83. Just to reinforce to you naysayers that One Piece isn't doing well. No, newest volume is in the top 20. Nah, nobody likes One Piece, nobody. (laughs) Also, we've got Mari Kondo's life-changing manga of Tidying Up, A Magical Story, which was ranked number 5 last month as number 16. We really gotta check this manga out because it just came out of nowhere, but it's a big hit. Tokyo Ghoul Volume 1 is also at number 15, and we've got JoJo Stardust Crusaders number 4 at number 17, and Dragon Ball Super Volume 1 at number 18. Again, 12 volumes in the top 20 for Bookscan this month. Manga is becoming the, like, backbone of graphic novel sales here in the U.S. They are exploding right now, and it's really exciting to see. As much as the New York Times would lead us to believe, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Well, the U.S. Times is ignoring comic books in general. That's true. But... Yeah, that's really awesome. That's that's a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of really good manga on this list this uh this month too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the day where we actually take a look at uh the life-changing manga of tidying up and it just so we somehow like become like big fans of it and we're just are, like are we are we sleeping on like this next huge hit in manga? I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like Tokyo Ghoul and we'll be like <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I I, I get why it's popular. <laughs> This yeah. is, it's it's trendy, whatever. <laughs> huh. But yeah, really, really, some really good titles on the book scan list this month. So moving on from that, this week's issue 40 of Weekly Shonen Jump uh, has announced that Hunter Hunter is going back on hiatus, which that's not really any surprise there. But something that I think we do need to talk about a little bit 
that requires a bit more discussion is the fact that basically everybody is uh, taking the author comment from that issue of Jump from Togashi as a sign that Togashi may be back with more Hunter Hunter by the end of the year, of which I have the comment in front of me translated by uh, Herms over from uh, Kanzenshu, or I guess a very trusted translator. He does a lot of great work over at that website. So uh, as translated by Herms, I just want to read the uh, the exact author comment from that issue of Jump. Quote, I received some Donbei noodles from Nishin Foods as a res- as a resurrection prize, so I'll be back once more within the year. And, it's uh, a joke. <laughs> so basically, like, everybody is, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people are taking this comment as confirmation that, oh yeah, Togashi will be back, he'll, he'll be back with more Hunter Hunter by the end of the year. Even, like, sites like Anime News Network are kind of making it seem like, oh yeah, this is, this is confirmation for sure, and... I don't know if I'm really okay with that, honestly, because, yeah, like Sid was just saying under his breath there, it's an author comment in an issue of Jump. I don't know if we're supposed to really take those as, as seriously as people are, apparently. If he was going to be back by the end of the year, if he knew he was going to be back, he would j- have just said that. But he's phrasing it as a joke. He's like, oh, I received these noodles. Maybe uh, they'll make me come back at the end of the year because they'll make me super healthy. You know, it's don't take this comment too seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, just don't be surprised if by 2018 or whatever, you still don't see Hunter Hunter back because the author comments in Jump are really just a place for the authors of Jump to just talk about basically random bullshit or whatever. And I don't think they're a very newsworthy source of any confirmation on any happenings in their series. So don't take it too seriously. Don't, don't, please don't get your hopes up, guys. Togashi will be back whenever he can. I think we've talked about it on the show before, but uh, ho- hopefully he keeps up this, um, this seemingly new kind of thing he's doing where he'll come back during the summer and essentially dole out like a like a volume's worth of content and then go back into uh, into the darkness or whatever he does. I don't know. Well, to play Dragon Quest. Oh, yeah, because, you know. Very suspiciously, <laughs> his hiatus has always come about when the new Dragon Quest comes out. Huh. Because it's not because of back pain at all. No, never. It's never because of health issues. It's always because of Dragon Quest. Right. <laughs> but... Yeah, I I felt like that was warranting some discussion, because, come on, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hunter Hunter is going on hiatus, but there are several manga that are actually returning. One of these being Akiku Higashimura's Tarareba Bar manga, which is a spin-off of Tokyo Tarareba Girls, which focuses on mascot characters Tar and Reba running a bar and giving advice in response to readers' submitted questions. It's like a small bonus cap. I don't think it's necessarily a four-comma, but it's like a short-form manga. So that will be resuming in the December issue of Kodansha's Kiss magazine on October 25th. Tokyo Tire Reba Girls is probably the Higashimura manga that I want to read the most, if I'm being perfectly honest. Why? Why over Princess Jellyfish? I don't know. Like, I I like the idea of 30-something women just getting together, drinking, having fun, and being girlfriends. That that sounds like my kind of manga, honestly. (laughs) Or at least that's that's just from what I've seen people posting on Twitter and whatnot. I think the plot is that they're trying to, you know, get back in the dating scene. So they're, like, helping each other out. Oh, there you go. I promise it. I will read Princess Jellyfish 2. Mm. <laughs> well, you better. <laughs> I, I don't like the way you. I don't like the way you said that. Sounded like a threat. Like oh, you better I'm gonna come over there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll I'll get to that someday. But like Sid said, a, a lot of some some manga are coming back, and uh, one of them is apparently a new Fist of the Blue Sky manga series that uh, this year's October issue of Tokuma Shoten's monthly comic Xenon has confirmed. This uh, new series will be called Fist of the Blue Sky Regenesis, and this issue will be shipped out on October 25th. The Fist of the Blue Sky, just for those who may not know, is a prequel manga to the ever-so-legendary Fist of the North Star. Fist of the Blue Sky, actually, from the uh, original duo of uh, Fist of the North Star, written by Baron Sun and uh, illustrated by the Tetsuo Hara. 
So that's really interesting that they're bringing back this series in particular. I wonder if it's going to be a prequel somehow to Fist of the Blue Sky or a sequel. There's no real confirmation. I'm just kind of speculating. But I kind of want it to be a prequel so it could be a prequel of a prequel. <laughs> that would be pretty amusing. <laughs> huh. That's really interesting because I don't, I don't know anything about Fist of the Blue Sky. I've read Fist of the North Star. That was a little while ago, but I've read it. So... I've been meaning to get to Fist of the Blue Sky, I just haven't gotten the chance to. So I'm wondering if the ending to Fist of the Blue Sky, like, uh, left itself open to some kind of continuation, or if it'll be a side story or something. I don't know. So yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. More, more Fist of the North Star stuff is fine by me. Yeah, it's always cool. Definitely a series I should check out at some point. Have you never read Fist of the North Star? No, I'm talking about Fist of the Blue Sky. I've read Fist of the North Star. Okay, okay. I was going to say, we need to do an, an episode about that soon. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'm sure we will do an episode on Fist of the North Star and Fist of the Blue Sky. I would love to. Mm-hmm. But we talked about some series that are returning now to talk about something that is ending. And Yoshiki Tanaka is ending the heroic Legend of Arslan's novels. He has finished the draft for the final volume. And basically his work on the series is done. The final volume will be released this winter. So... Yeah, this series has been going on since 1986. So 31 years uh, it's been written, and finally it's all coming to an end this winter. So it's pretty big. I mean, now I guess like the manga adaptation that uh, Hiro Arakawa is writing can also have a definitive ending as well. So yeah, pretty cool. There you go. Yeah, I know that novel's been around for a, for a while. But I guess moving on from our serialization news into some licensing news, I guess just to start off with, Kodansha Comics, actually by the time you're re- uh, you're listening to this, has released uh, the first volumes of both Waka Miyama, Miyama's Elegant Yokai Apartment Life and Pedoro Toriyumi's Black Panther and Sweet Sixteen manga. You can buy those both digitally, probably over at uh, on Amazon and Comixology or wherever wherever digital manga is sold. But just to talk about these series real quick, Elegant Yokai Apartment Life. This one I know has an anime on Crunchyroll that I believe is currently airing. Mm-hmm. I personally watched the first episode of that when it came out, and I was a little lukewarm on it, but like. If I happen to hear, you know, more positive things about it, I wouldn't mind maybe giving it another chance. See, th- that was an anime that I kind of watched because a lot of Gintama actors were in there because I'm just that shallow. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was all right. I think other people may, may dig the, uh, the premise for this. So essentially, from what I remember of the first episode, you basically have this teenager who lives with his, uh, his uncle. You know, after obviously after losing his parents in an accident, and he becomes old enough to want to go out on his own, and uh, he hopes to move into a dormitory upon uh, entering uh, whatever high school he's going to. But by sheer serendipity, I guess that might not be the right word. I don't know. By sheer whatever, dorm burns down, and he has to go find another dorm to to live in because you know he he's too proud. He doesn't want to basically doesn't want to bother his um his extended family anymore. And he still wants to live out on his own. So he he finds another very cheap dorm. I think specifically, yeah, it costs like 25,000 yen a year, uh, a month, or a year, whoops, which uh, would roughly, I mean, very roughly, maybe be around like $250 or something like that. But uh, basically, the catch is it's haunted. And that's why it's cheap. And basically, the, the series goes from there. So, yeah, I, th- I thought that was kind of an interesting premise, but this definitely a series I'd, I would rather wait to maybe build up more before I uh, maybe read more of it. Now, Black Panther and Sweet Sixteen uh, apparently is about a teenage girl with a complex about her aggressive nature. Uh, she has just moved to Tokyo when she comes across a boy passed out from starvation. Uh, she gives him a drink, but he ends up stealing a kiss. So we're already off to a great start. And then apparently on her first day of school, the same boy comes up to her and declares himself to be her pet. And I don't like the premise for the series at all. Sounds really weird. What do you think, Sid? <laughs> yeah, these kind of series where a character is forced or like there's this weird power dynamic, you know, in terms of like a master pet relationship or master slave relationship, like those can be very uncomfortable. Because, like, the power dynamic is usually so one-sided and like is usually n- does not 
fare well for the female characters in those series uh, at all. And even though, like, in this circumstance, she will be supposedly the master and the guy will be the pet, uh, I have a feeling, like, based on the cover, that um somehow she's still going to be, like, the more submissive person in this relationship. And it's like, I don't <sighs> yeah. know about that. Yeah, I'm not very into this series already yet. Like like you said, I'm. it's because of all the reasons you listed that I'm I'm not into that dynamic at all either. It's just it's just uncomfortable for me yeah. personally. But anyway, uh the first two volumes of those two series are out if people want to go and buy those. So Yeah. And something that's really cool that actually, you know, is really exciting to me is Dark Horse is releasing an illustrated Yoshitaka Amano biography. Yoshitaka Amano is a famous illustrator, probably best known for doing designs for Final Fantasy and Vampire Hunter D, but his work in anime spans all the way back to the 60s, starting with the likes of Speed Racer, Gotcha Man, and Cash On, among numerous other series, including like the Time Bokan franchise. So he has a story career of design work and Dark Horse Comics is going to be releasing this biography called Yoshitake Amino Beyond the Fantasy the illustrated biography which was uh, Florin George's biography of him uh, that was first published by Pixinla Publishing in France in 2015 they basically licensed it and are translating into English they're going to release it in both regular and limited editions. The biography will be a 325-page hardcover, uh, sized at 11 one inches, time by 9 5 16 inches, so pretty big. And it's going to be priced at, like, $50. So, I mean, it's going to be a little pricey, but, like, it's going to be high-quality release. But there's also going to be a $100 limited edition that will include a softcover Paris sketchbook. Two little graphs from Vampire Hunter D and Final Fantasy VI, a signed and numbered card from Amano, and a Blu-ray disc. Now, Paris sketchbook is a photo essay of Amano sketching people and sites in Paris. And then the Blu-ray disc will have scenes from Amano's Paris trip, a talk with the artist and the author and publisher, and a live painting session at Amano's studio. And these videos will have audio in French and Japanese with English subtitles. And then the main book itself is going to include like over a hundred of Amano's sketches and paintings, as well as over 80 photographs spanning his childhood, family, and work. And it's going to cover his entire career. So like, Yoshitaka Amano is like one of the best known and one of the best illustrators, uh, in Japan. So it's like really cool to see this like great art book biography coming out over here. And, uh, yeah, I think this will be a real treat if you're a fan of his work. Yeah, like Sid said, it, it, a lot of that seems pretty pricey, but I mean, if you're a fan of Amano's work, that a lot of that seems pretty worthwhile, actually. I, all, all that really actually does sound interesting. Mm-hmm. Moving on, a Japanese publisher is planning to launch the world's first Christian light novel. Huh. Kirishin, Japan's oldest Christian publishing company, is launching a contest to, uh, you know, find what will be the world's first Christian light novel that its uh, newly planned label will be printing. The contest will be perhaps the first in an inaugural contest, if it goes well. And then the grand prize winner of the contest is going to be published in Kirishin's newspapers. And writers will only need to submit a single chapter to be considered. And the company is working, looking for work that is entertaining, but also focuses on biblical and Christian themes. And the author doesn't have to be Christian to support, uh, submit a work. Entries are going to be accepted starting on September 1st through December 31st. So, I'm not quite sure what Christian-like novel means necessarily. I think it just, like, stories that have, like, a biblical focus, kind of like what they said. Like, that focus is on the fate. Or, like, aspects of the faith. So, I know a lot of people, when they think about, like, maybe something like Pure Flix films, which are kind of almost propaganda pieces at times. <laughs> this does not seem to be, like, intended like that. Like, for one thing, like, this is, like, anyone could submit to it. And you don't have to even be Christian to submit to it. I think they're they're just looking for works that capture, like, the essence of Christianity and the faith. So, you know, I think that's pretty positive overall. 
I mean, yeah, when you put it that way, I don't know how to say this. Like, I'm, I'm not really expecting, I guess I'm not really expecting uh, the publisher to really look for something that, like, I don't want to say takes the subject matter too seriously, but, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I've seen enough anime and manga to come to the conclusion that, like, when people put in, like, Christian imagery and or, or themes or whatever into their work, like, it's, at least from what I've seen, like, stuff like, uh, like, Evangelion and, and Death Note, like, a lot of that is because it just looks cool. Like, from what I've seen, there's very, there's very rarely any, like, real deeper meaning behind it. So that's why I, per- I personally don't, I'm not taking this too seriously in that aspect. I think the intention with this context is to find works that do actually, you know, have meaning behind, like, the themes and imagery and symbolism discussed in regards to Christianity. So this is like a story that is legitimately written from the perspective of a Christian. Uh, honestly, that would be kind of interesting when you when you put it like that, actually. But I mean, like, I don't, I never thought I would hear Christian and light novel uttered in the same sentence, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing to what comes out of it. But we have arrived at our last piece of news for the day. Do you want to discuss it, Colton? Yes, yeah, so... Do we talk about The Promised Neverland enough to, you know, I think people who listen to the show know that we both really like that series, and it's probably the best new series to come out of Jump last year, honestly. So, yeah, The Promised Neverland in particular has, um, as as of the 40th issue of Weekly Shonen Jump yet again, uh, has confirmed that The Promised Neverland has 1.5 million copies in print. That's really impressive. Yeah, for a series that's like, just turning a year old and jump, I I think that's pretty amazing, to say the least, honestly. Yeah, that's 1.5 million copies divided by five volumes. That is a great sales record. Like, it is blowing up already. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty safe to say that um, at this point, Promise Neverland is probably safe and jump for the time being. I don't think it's gonna, like, I don't think it's gonna get canceled, like, next week or anything, you know? Not just safe, Promise Neverland is becoming one of Jump's biggest titles right now. It is cementing itself as one of the flagship series alongside My Hero Academia. Mm-hmm. It's really nice to ha- for Jump to have, like, a kind of cat-and-mouse, battle-of-the-minds kind of manga, because I, really th- I don't really think we've had anything like this since Death Note, at least not that I can think of. Yeah, it's certainly rare. But, uh, yeah, so Promise Neverland is seems to be doing pretty well, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, and that makes me very happy. But I think that's about it for the news, though. Very, uh, very light week this week. Yeah, we finished this in under half an hour. I don't know if that's ever happened before. And I don't know if it's... Well, maybe it'll happen again, but it probably won't happen too often. (laughs) Yeah. And at this point in the show is normally when I would begin a long, winding rant that would lead as a transition into the next thing. But I don't know what the next thing is. So we're just going to have to, like, spin the wheel and see where it lands. What we're going to be covering, you'll just have to find out. Oh, my God! Where it stops and what series we will read, nobody knows. And true. Oh, oh, look at that. Fire Force. That's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Fire Force, but Atsushi Okubo, the creator of Soul Eater, his latest manga that's been serialized in Weekly Shonen Magazine since 2015. We're going to be discussing basically around the first volume's worth of content. We know that the first five volumes are out by the time of this recording, but we didn't have time to read all five volumes, and admittedly, this is like a last minute thing, in case you couldn't tell by our old roulette bit. Uh, Sket Dance has been delayed for a little while longer, but it's coming. Just like the dragons are coming in Game of Thrones, and, uh, and his last two books, George R. R. Martin's last two books, they're coming, and they'll be epic. Just gotta wait a little while longer. <laughs> Oh, topical. Um, so, Sid, 
What is Fire Force about? Fire Force is a shonen battle manga about firefighters who fight fire with fire. But specifically, they don't just fight fires. They fight fire demon creatures. People spontaneously combust into like these burning ghoul things, which are called the Infernals. And so, like, they're in this, like, horrible state where they're, like, these just monsters that are, like, lit aflame and they can't control themselves. And so, you know, the fire force is called in to put them down. And, you know, basically they have to kill people. But, you know, they treat it as, like, they're saving their souls. So they have, like, the church involved and stuff. And it's, like, kind of, like, more of a, you know, public relations thing in a a way, to kind of, you know, soothe and comfort people because, you know, they, they have to put their family members down. So they, they, they kind of treat it more like an, um, like an exorcism almost. They, it kinda, at least on the surface level, for the sake of the public, it's, it's supposed to appear like that. In reality, they're more like, yeah, they have to kill these people essentially, which, yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty harsh kind of concept, but it isn't that dark a series. Uh, at least not more so than this kind of uh, monster slash demon fighting kind of manga, which is very much what this is, just like Soul Eater. Uh, people kind of become these grotesque like monsters who aren't in control of themselves and kind of go insane. And then the protagonists are a group that have to kind of take them down. And I mean, they don't, I, they sort of move up the ranks, I guess. And uh, some of them can manipulate fires in very interesting ways because they're descendant of, like, first-generation people who, like, first became Infernals. And so, like, subsequent uh, generations of people have varying degrees of how much they can control their fire. And uh, so the main character, Shinra, like, he can... Uh, very easily control fire and, like, uh, can manifest it from his, like, feet and, like, use that to, like, fight. Uh, and then other people can, like, use special, like, igniters to summon fire. You know, these people being the second generation. And they can even create their own fire spirits, which look very much like how souls in Soul Eater looked. Uh, very, like, bulby, will-o'-the-wisp kind of things. Which are very adorable, and I assume are going to become great plushies if they are not already been made into them. <laughs> and I'm gonna buy one because I want one really bad. They mm-hmm. are so cute. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, just kind of talking about Okubo real quick. Um, it's it's really interesting because um, I guess as far as uh, how familiar we are with his other works, such as Soul Eater. I've never, this is my first time actually reading any of his manga, because I've seen all of the Soul Eater anime, but I haven't actually, like, I haven't actually read it. I'd like to at some point. Um, how about you, Sid? I've read the Soul Eater manga. I got introduced to Soul Eater through the anime, but then I moved on to the manga after I had finished the anime, and I kept up with that from, for about a couple years, uh, until it ended. So <laughs> I've, you know, had experience with Soul Eater, the manga, and Okobu's, like, style before. And what's very great about his art is, like, he is great at very, like, cool-looking, easy-to-follow action scenes. In the first volume, uh, in, like, the third chapter, there's this really cool fight scene between uh, the Maki, who is, like, a second lieutenant or something, and then the two newer recruits, our protagonist Shinra, and then his rival, Arthur. And that's a really fun fight scene that flows really well. Like, there's a lot of cool, swift movement. Okubo is, like, really great at, like, this dynamic and but very still simple and easy to follow kind of fight sequences. And I think that's, like, a large appeal of his manga. I mean, another thing is just that his character designs, like, are very... He has, like, very sharp kind of character designs. 
uh, very cool facial expressions. Like, he, uh, one of the big concepts in Soul Eater was, like, madness. So, like, there were, like, these really grotesque, like, gritting faces and, like, faces that depict any form of insanity to varying degrees, which were always very disturbing. And, like, he replicates that kind of thing in Soul Eater very well. And also, like, he's knows how to create very off-putting character designs as well, with characters with very disturbing eyes who look very unsettling, or, like, just characters who, when their face is in shadow, and they have just these round, like, white pupilless eyes, look insanely menacing and monster-like. And his monster designs are also very good. Uh, we don't see too many worried ones in the first volume, but the simple, like, infernal design of just a guy being on fire is, in of itself, also very, like, you know, horrifying, not just because of, like, you know, what you can think of, you know, this person being on fire and that being kind of horrific, but also just, like, in the way it looks and the way it's kind of drawn. And his facial expressions, too, even though yeah. you could tell they're very simplistic. Um, I feel like they still add to the design and make them that much more unsettling. <laughs> Yeah, you can tell that the Infernals are in pain. But when, like, they start introducing Infernals who are, like, more monster-like and, like, have their own kind of free will in the second volume, they become kind of like uh, the monsters that you would see in Soul Eater. Very much like Ragnarok, uh, Krona's weapon in Soul Eater. You know, like which was this, like, bulbous... uh like, shadowy black monster that just came out of that character's. So, there's there's a lot of designs like that. So, his design work continues to be great, which is really cool. But uh, one thing that I guess I feel is lacking in the art of Fire Force is that what was also really distinct about Soul Eater was its setting, which took place in Nevada, the United States, you know. And Did it there really? Was yeah, it took place in Nevada. Uh, there was that's why there was desert everywhere. It was supposed to be in the Nevadan desert. Wow, but, you know, like Soul Eater was also kind of an international series because the characters were like traveling all over the world. So yeah, yeah, that gave Okubu a great chance to show his chops and draw very distinct, interesting, and diverse settings from arc to arc. And also when, you know, even when they were, like, stuck in one place, like Arachne's mansion or whatever, he knew how to make those kind of places look very creepy and uh, otherworldly. That also gave that a great atmosphere. And I don't feel like he replicates it that well in Fire Force, because Fire Force takes place in, you know, just a typical Japanese kind of town. So the setting isn't very impressive. So in regards to style, like the fashion sense of the characters in Soul Eater was very punk, like very like the epitome of what you would think would be cool character design in terms of like how the characters, you know, were clothed and how distinct each one looked. There was a lot of diversity there, but unfortunately with Fire Force, like they're all one police force. So they all have regulated police uniforms, which look fine. They're not bad uniforms, but everyone has them, and so they just don't stand out very well. Whereas Mm -hmm. in Soul Eater, each character design and sense of clothing and fashion really spoke a lot to their personality. You just don't get that with Fire Force because everyone is wearing the same attire. And they don't really have, like, crazy facial features or other design quirks. Like, Death the Kid's, like, three lines across one side of his hairdo you know so the art and like aesthetics of it i don't think it's like as striking and distinctive as soul eater so but like in terms of like the action choreography it's still pretty strong though you know in the first two volumes i don't think there's like anything as like impressive as uh soul eater just yet yeah i would agree um i couldn't help but um while reading through the first volume I couldn't really help but feel like you might disagree with me on this, but uh, I don't know. For some reason, I I kept feeling like I was reading something similar to like Blue Exorcist that I was Soul Eater. Like Shinra's uh, character design to me feels like 
if Oka, if Okubo uh drew decided to draw Rin from Soul Eater, yeah, and even and even like a lot of the uh like like you were saying the uh, the setting of Fire Force just is not as distinct as, as Soul Eater, um, like like the setting to me even felt kind of more like something you would see in Blue Exorcist as well. Like if it if it weren't for like one or two very Okubo character designs, and again a lot of the a lot of the more demonic or Will the Wisp kind of ghost designs. I, I never would have thought, oh, yeah, this is the guy that did Soul Eater. Yeah, it's more in line with Blue Exorcist, I guess, in that respect. Both Fire Force and Soul Eater are, this, are in the same genre of this, like, kind of monster fighting supernatural series. That Blue Exorcist is also in that same kind of genre. But I don't feel Fire Force is nearly as distinctive. And if you're comparing character designs, like, the Shinra's character design looks where more typical and more like plain than the likes of soul and maka which were very unique looking mm-hmm. yeah um i i do agree that's pro- that's probably why i thought blue exorcist was because i mean i don't not that i think rin's i feel like rin's design as, as far as blue exorcist goes it's yeah you know, it's not a bland design but it is a bit more distinctive than uh than Shinra's design, but I feel like they kind of have sort of the same look to them. I feel like it's probably the hair, honestly. Um, maybe maybe a bit of the face, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of these Fire Force characters do look like Blue Exorcist characters. <laughs> I mean, there is, like, a certain different sensibility in the art style, so you couldn't totally mistake one from the other. But, like, in terms of, like, just the basic archetype of how they're drawn like i think you could easily have both artists like draw the other series and you know the characters would look pretty similar yeah um and hell even um even even a bit of shinra's character i feel like is uh, or i guess as, as far as his like his backstory goes about how he like how he lost his family. I, I felt like that was sort of similar to something in blue exorcist as well. Like the, the story somehow felt familiar to me, I guess if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's clear that Rin also is hiding. No, I'm, I mean, uh, Shinra is also hiding <laughs> something darker inside of him. Some kind of demonic force, maybe just like Rin, the satanic blood because he's the son of Satan and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, that's why Rin has his blue flames. And I'm sure, like, there's abilities that Shinra has that are because he has, like, some special, like, supernatural, maybe demonic ability as well. But that, I haven't, I don't remember if they ever confirmed that later on. I should uh, note that this isn't my first time reading Fire Force because I actually start, kept up with it when it was first starting out and being scanlated. And I kept up for it it for like 20 or so chapters so uh i don't i i forget like how many volumes equivalent that would be i think that'd probably be like probably four or five Mm -hmm. probably somewhere around there but i wasn't very engaged keeping up to it week to week i wasn't at very impressed when it was first coming out rereading the first volume i think that i'm actually seeing a lot more interesting things about it than i had seen the first time but i can also see why i lost it you know it lost my attention trying to read it week to week because it gets off to a very slow start i feel I thought as far as the first volume went, it was fine, but, like, it had some moments in there, and there were aspects about uh, the series so far that I really enjoyed, but, like, yeah, I could see this, I could see this being the kind of thing where I wouldn't think to start reading it week to week. This is the kind of thing that I would rather let build up and then maybe read a chunk of it later. Yeah, I think that would be better, sir, because, again, I didn't feel that the character designs were that distinctive. I didn't think the premise was as interesting or, like, unique compared to other, you know, these supernatural demon fighting series. And it takes until, like, the second volume, in the middle of the second volume, which was around, like, chapter 8, is when, like, the big mysteries start getting revealed. So... You know, reading it week to week, I wasn't just engaged with the story or the characters, but reading it all at once, this first volume and then the second volume, you know, I started to process more of it at once. 
and like kind of got into the flow of the story. This seems like it's a series that is better read in chunks than on the week to week basis, at least when it was starting out. And I agree. Going back and reading through it again now. Um, I guess as far as like characters go, um, there weren't too many that stood out to me other than Captain Obi and uh, Maki. I thought were very interesting characters. Um, I, I think my favorite part of the first volume is um, is when um, I forget the guy in the glasses name. <laughs> uh, he he's I think he's the second lieutenant. Uh, um, yeah, he's in the se- he's like the sec yeah he's the lieutenant he's uh, Takahisa Hinoa he's the very stern very serious character that's his archetype. It was it was really uh, just on that note while we're talking about him it was really like distressing to see him just like so willingly put out like uh, the little fire spirits that Maki would conjure up. That was that was pretty that was pretty sad. Those made me really sad because it's that like... was a good gag for sure. <laughs> just like yeah. the reaction of Maki just like screaming very sadly. I thought it came off um, almost kind of, like I don't know some something about that seemed kind of dark to me because it's like you're you're killing the spirit. <laughs> but I still thought it was funny though. Um, I I really like the portion where um, Maki ends up sparring with uh, with Shinra and Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I just, I don't know, I I really like seeing shonen manga where women can actually fight and hold hold their own. Because they talk about how, because, uh, the, yeah, the thing that kind of makes Fire Force interesting to me is that there are people from these different generations of people that have spontaneously combust that, like, can use their fire powers uh, in different ways and to different magnitudes and... Maki, I think, is a second generation yes. of that, where she can control fire, but, like, you know, she can't really, she can't make her own fire. She can't ignite her own flames. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she she has a bit of power, but she's possibly not as strong as uh, as Shinra, who can, you know, literally produce fire from his feet. You know, he has a bit of an advantage in that case, but... You know, uh, Hinoa brings up how uh, both him and Maki, I think, are from, uh, they were both trained in the military. So they both know how to fight, uh, which I thought was, uh, I thought that was really entertaining seeing Maki actually fight Shinra and then have uh, Arthur come up. Because his whole thing is that, like, he's very into uh, into knights and he wants to be a knight and he's obsessed with all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you couldn't tell, you know, because his <laughs> name is Arthur and and that's the joke, Knights of the Round Table and all that. Um, I I think my favorite part in the entire first volume is where Arthur's all like, oh, well, you know, a knight mustn't injure a princess. And then Maki just totally takes him out and is like, well, yeah, but knights are supposed to bow down before a princess. And I thought that was the most amazing thing in that first volume. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's a great fight sequence. And Maki is makes a very cool impression in that chapter. So, I mean, I expect as much from Okubo because, you know, the protagonist of Soul Eater was Maka, and she kicked a lot of ass. Mm-hmm. And all, like, the women in that series were really cool and had good arts. Uh, at least most of them. So, I'm in that regard, I'm a little more disappointed in Fire Force because Maki does make a good impression in that chapter, but like she's like the one female character who does. I mean, Iris later, from what I remember, also becomes more interesting. Iris being the nun, and like the role of the church in the series is also very interesting. Uh, leads to some very unique things that happen later. But uh, but I yeah I guess those two characters Maki and Iris are good but like they're not since they're not the focus like Maka was back in Soul Eater I I don't I guess I feel a little more disappointed in that aspect but they're still good characters I can I I can see that yeah I mean I'm not a big fan of the character of Tamaki though who is introduced at the end of the first volume and she's oh, basically God, a character uh. who was. <laughs> Designed specifically to be a fan service character. I mean, her entire character design makes no sense other than to justify fan service-y moments. Because, like, she exposes herself very much. Like, she doesn't wear a shirt. 
And she has these weird pants that, like, expose her tie, like, the sides of her ties. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why th- those parts aren't covered up. But it's like, it's it's all in service of this f- fan service chapter in which she's introduced in. In which, like, male characters, mainly Shinra, like, end up groping her breasts and Under ass. the bra, on accident, which, I'm sorry, doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, under the bra. And, like, the, the one that makes no sense whatsoever in terms of, like, how it could have possibly happened is, like... The last, like, accidental pervert moment that happens is when, like, Shinra somehow gropes her butt, like, behind the slits in her pants. Like, she just somehow falls <laughs> into him and there. his hands, like, st- stick behind her ass and he's, like, squeezing her butt sheets. And it's like, okay, like, that makes no sense how that possibly could have happened on accident. And it also just goes to show, yeah, this entire character design was just to justify these accidental pervert moments. And, like, it's some curse called the Chronic Lucky Letcher which is, like, literally putting, I guess... I don't know. It's like it's just an excuse for fan service. That's all it is, and it's stupid, and I hate it. I yeah. I see. When I was reading this week to week, and this chapter came out, this was like one of the moments where like mm, I'm not sure about this series. <laughs> this is this is very disappointing coming from Okubo. I mean, there was fan service in Soul Leader, but you know, this seems very blatant, like an attempt to like draw young readers to like see oh um, maybe there are going to be more moments like this where, uh, <sighs> where like Shinra is going to accidentally grope her uh, I don't I don't understand why authors feel the need to do that this reminds me of like M0 and like how in the later chapters of that series there were so many more like perverted moments and cheesecake shots because the series was you know getting unpopular and like i guess the author thought you know putting those fan service moments in might help boost it back up and it didn't and it just it just made those final chapters harder to read and this felt like that it felt like uh, fire force didn't get off to a great start so like his editors told okubo to write a chapter of fan service moments to draw in readers because I guess I guess that works. I don't know. We got to get some of that otaku money. Yeah, I don't something. know. If it, I mean, <laughs> ata- I don't know. Like the otaku, I don't think is what like a manga like this is aimed at. This well, is aimed of course. At I'm I'm mostly just being young facetious, readers. but yeah. Uh, but I I don't know. <laughs> Again, this this is just. Like, some of the more baffling fan service happens with this character. Her personality isn't great either. She's just, like, a Sundere or whatever, so who cares about her? I mean, luckily, she's not a main character. Uh, She's not even in the same team as the main characters, so that's good. She's, like, only a recurring thing, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was very disappointing coming from Akubo and, like, how well-written, you know, his characters in Soul Leader were. Yeah, that was that was definitely the point where I was uh, I was audibly like, yeah, fuck off. This is this is dumb. Don't do this to me. And it's such a shame <laughs> in your case, too, since that's the last chapter in the first volume. It is, but, I mean, at least the volume ends on a good cliffhanger, I think. Yeah, it introduces Joker, who is, like, uh, the overarching villain and i i mean i stopped reading after 20 volumes i have 20 chapters but i think like he's like he still remains major uh, the story moves in a very interesting direction starting in the middle of oh well, i mean starting with volume two because that's when you know they explain or at least introduce more the character of joker who appears at the end of the first volume and then it also explains like that uh, the group of Fire Force that Shinra is a part of, Company 8, is very uh, unique among the Fire Forces because Company 8 is designed to keep watch and monitor the other seven companies because the other seven companies don't answer directly to you know, the law or the government. Like They have all special interest groups behind them. 
like one company answers to the manufacturers of the Fire Force uniforms, and then another company answers to the military. So Company 8 was organized to, you know, keep track and keep the other seven companies in line. So that that's very interesting. And then, like, the arc that begins in Volume 2, which was, like, the arc that I uh, was reading when I was keeping up with this, is, like, them go- going against Company 5, which is the group that, you know, is backed by the manufacturers of the Fire Force uniforms. And they're very corrupt. Mm, and Interesting. Uh, uh, but there's also, like, some... Because the leader of Company 5 is also, like, uh... Is, like, a, is a woman, and they also have fan service moments with her oh, that cool. I wasn't That's cool. very, uh, very much a fan of. But she was a good villain in terms of how, like, despicable she was, I guess. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, at least, but... Wow. I mean, I'm more, I feel more willing to read more of Fire Force now because I do see a lot more potential in it rereading the first volume. There's still a lot of things that bother me. Yeah. But I feel like as time goes on more, I rem- whenever I happen to remember Soul Eater, I remember, wow, Soul Eater was really cool. And like, I kept going through phases for a while that where I was like, hmm, was Soul Eater as good as I remember? And then I go back to it a bit, and sometimes I'm like, mm, maybe not. But then other times I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was Soul Eater's still awesome. And I feel like, you know, now again, I'm at this point where I'm remembering Soul Eater. I'm remembering, wow, Soul Eater did a lot of cool things. There were a lot of really cool things about Soul Eater. And so I feel like I want to give Fire Force more of a shot because I like that series so much. And I think that Okubu is a great artist and is a, also a pretty good writer. But compared to the first volume of Soul Eater, which was like three chapters, each dedicated to introducing one of the teams that would form the main group. Yeah of characters in Soul Eater, like, the first volume of Fire Force is not nearly as engaging or unique. No, I agree. It, like, the first first chapter, especially, to me, feels like a, just a lot of basically setting up the world and setting up Shinra and his character and what happened to him in, in, in his past and whatnot, and that's essentially about it. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, uh, just speaking personally, as much as I, I, I did not like the fan service near the end of the first volume, I would like to read more of this. I I think this series has potential to be probably, I, I don't want to say like, oh, amazing, the best thing I've ever read. But, you know, it has, I think it has potential to be a pretty good read, and I, I would like to see where it goes. And, I mean, like, I guess let's put it this way, like, I'm willing to read more of this than I was, say, like, Kakegurui, as far as like you know, series we decide to to sample on on the show or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I get. I would recommend it then, at least to try it out if you like Soul Eater. But if you're not a fan of these supernatural like demon fighting shonen series, there isn't that much that sets Fire Force apart from any one of those. And there are better like examples in this genre that I think would be more appealing. Yeah. But yeah, as far as uh, as far as a first sample went, um, I I liked it enough. Um, aside from one or two moments, I I enjoyed it. But I recognize that it's not like, you know, it's it's not it's not doing anything that I haven't seen before. But like, uh, su- supernatural firefighters is something that I think has the potential to be a really cool manga series. So I do want to read more of this uh, when I get the chance. Yeah, I got the first four volumes from the library. I only had the chance to read two, but I do plan to continue reading the series whenever I get the chance to. If I if I have uh, if I have uh, some money to spare, you know, uh, at one point or another, I have a I have a couple extra bucks on me. I don't mind uh, probably buying another volume of this over at uh, Comicsology or whatever. Kind of like what I'm doing with uh, with Welcome to the Ballroom every once in a while. Hmm. But yeah, I think I think this is a it's a light recommendation, I'd say. Yeah. Uh and I was just checking while we were talking. It's uh for some reason it's not being uh simul published by Kodansha either, so uh but there are five volumes of it out, so I think that's a good enough sample size if people wanna want more than a volume to read. There's enough of it out there to probably see for yourselves if maybe this is a series for you. And they release volumes at a pretty fast rate, like, it's a bi-monthly schedule, so a new volume every two months. 
they are probably never going to catch up with the Japanese releases. Because the chapter sizes are pretty lengthy, a new volume of Fire Force also comes out every two months in Japan. Hmm. So, you know, if they only keep pace with a volume every two months, they won't catch up. But as all the same, that means, like, you'll get six volumes a year. So it's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, Okay, I think that, that about does it for our discussion, then. Yeah, this was a good impromptu last minute thing that we had to do, but <laughs> hopefully we will get to Sket Dance soon. It won't, and I promise it won't take longer than it's taking George R. R. Martin to write those <laughs> final two books. I, I'm promising you that. <laughs> Definitely that'll, it'll happen before that. Yeah, um, essentially, uh, just to kind of jump ahead here, you know, it, like, it, essentially, uh, this is this is why you want to follow uh, Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks, because usually like the day or two before we decide to discuss something, I usually put out a tweet letting people know, hey, we're going to discuss this. So if you're following us on Twitter and you happen to see a tweet uh, saying, hey, we're going to finally cover Skep Dance, uh, that that'll that'll be your cue to, you know, to, to look forward to our upcoming Skep Dance discussion. That that that's a that's a pretty good indicator of uh of how soon we're going to be discussing something. Definitely. Um. But yeah. Uh. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. And uh, Sid, thank you so much for recording this probably pretty short episode with me. Yeah, this is one of the shorter episodes. I think it should only be about an hour or so long. Maybe may, yeah, maybe the, ninety minutes at most, but maybe maybe like less than that. No, you don't I think mean, so? The news was less than half an hour. So. Oh, that's true. Wow. <laughs> hey, uh, for, for yeah. those of you who wanted short episodes, here you go. <laughs> Finally delivering. And, and the f- it's been a year since the last episode was an hour long. The last time was episode 16. Oh, you, you so, can't yeah. be serious. <laughs> no, and that was literally a year ago. Oh, boy. From when this episode will be posted. Oh, well, cool. I mean, you know, if you like short episodes, there you go. But, uh, yeah, our... Uh, depending on what we're going to be talking about next time, next episode's probably going to be like twice the length. Um, but you know that that's fine with me. I don't care. I, I like long podcasts. Apparently, nobody else does though. <laughs> um, but Sid, where can the good people find you? You can find me as at Lomromiyasha on Twitter and Lomromiyasha on various places, including Animation Revelation of my anime list. If you see a username called my uh, Lomromiyasha, that's me. All right, there you go. And uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at SniperKing323. Uh, I also host a few other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, if you happen to be a fan of that series, over at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. Or if you're a fan of Case Close slash Detective Conan, go listen to One Podcast Prevails over at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. But I think that's about it for me. You should listen to every episode of the podcast of uh, of the Manga Mavericks podcast over at all-comic.com. It's where we put every episode first. Uh, but if you want to follow All Comic in general, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But uh, if you just want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, maybe, maybe you like our podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like I said earlier, at manga underscore Mavericks for all the quickest updates on the podcast. Or you can also follow us on uh, mangamavericks.tumblr.com as well for updates. And, uh, you know, if you if you have any thoughts on uh, – do you have – have you read Fire Force? Do you have any thoughts you want to share with us about the series we covered today? Uh, what, what are you reading in general? Uh, what do you think about all the news we talk about on the show? Uh, you can email us anything at uh, mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we'll, we will read it on the show. Um, also, subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, I, last time I checked, we are pretty close to getting 100 subscribers, like the 20 more, I think. Um, we're, we're at about 80 yes. subscribers. So um, definitely please subscribe to us on YouTube if you want more uh, smaller chunks of the podcast, if you're interested in any like particular discussions. I know we... Uh, been putting up our Death Note stuff lately, so go listen to our Death Note discussion, as well as our uh, a discussion on the live-action Death Note movie. Uh, oh yeah, that's uh, that's right. Uh, uh, at, at Movies, Sid released another episode of that, finally, about the live-action Death yeah, Note movie. Yeah, it only took six months. <laughs> Ho- hopefully we can get more of those out um, sometime this year, maybe, I don't know. Uh, th- 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 those will be out at some point, but... 
as I was saying, uh, just please subscribe to us on YouTube. Basically, we need 100 subscribers for a custom URL. We could really use that. So uh, definitely uh, subscribe to us if you haven't on YouTube. Uh, but the most important thing is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called. Uh, that really helps our uh, visibility as a podcast on that uh, on that platform. So yeah, please do that if you can. And uh, oof, I think that's about it for all the plugs and stuff. <clears throat> I'm almost out of breath. <coughs> uh, so thank you guys so much for listening to episode 39 of the podcast. And we will see you guys next time for episode 40. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.